Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Desi VC Podcast. This is your host Akash Bhatt, and each week I bring you leading investors and operators investing and building companies all around the world. Today with me on the show is Karan Desai, founder and managing partner at Interface Ventures, an early stage venture fund based out of Mumbai in India. He is an operator turned investor who brings a diverse set of skills, which includes extensive experience in operations, investment banking, and financial consulting. Prior to Interface, he was the joint managing director at TrueCap Finance Limited, a rapidly expanding NBFC listed on the Bombay Stock Exchange, which specializes in providing finance to MSMEs all around the country. In addition to this, Karan founded Exafit a globally recognized lifestyle nutrition and supplement brand endorsed by top athletes and bollywood superstars throughout his career karan has held key roles at distinguished brands across the world including bank of america pwc centrum capital and the heel institute on today's show we reflect on his operator journey and how he's leveraging a lot of that experience today as an investor to back some stellar founders in the country so without further ado Let's head in and listen to everything that Karan has learned working alongside some really good founders in India. Karan, welcome to the Desi VC podcast. Extremely Thank excited you, to talk to you and uh, over the course of the next uh, 45 to 60 minutes, want to sit down, take it on memory lane. get you to just reflect back on some of the decisions that you have made in your career that's kind of like ended up getting you towards the goal of uh, becoming a venture capitalist and uh, what have you learned post that as well so but before we head into any of that how are you doing and uh, what is the start of the year look like for you great uh, it's great to be here akash nice talking to you and uh, you know the financial year is just about to start now in india so april is when we actually kick off so you know wrapping up uh, financial year 23 has been pretty interesting there's a lot of stuff uh, happening uh, and as we go along i'll tell you more about my story and why this whole msme sector in india is of particular interest to me so mm-hmm. you know i'm really excited about uh, what lies beyond over the next 12 to 60 months especially with the announcements of the budgets and stuff so yeah. i think it's a good time to be in business in india invest in new ventures in india and uh, hopefully the next 5 years also should be extremely progressive so let's see where we go well then let's get things started uh but let's start with you know how things got kicked off for you in your career because typically when i speak to you know venture capitalists or even founders for that matter not all of them have had a traditional route into their careers everybody's kind of accidentally end up becoming a vc or in some cases founders so i want to understand what is that journey look for you and what are some of the things that kind of led you to becoming a venture capitalist or kind of like kicked you down this road which is you know as in most people would probably confirm this saying it's a very dark side of the business that you enter so what happened in your case and uh, what's it been like ever since you became a venture capitalist maybe a two part question great so i think uh, the start began all the way back during uh, college days so i did my graduation year from narsi moji college in bombay i did my bachelor's in commerce and uh, that point in time in my life i was what you would call a classic geek so i had practically no social life i only studied because uh, i knew that was probably the only way i would get ahead in my life mm-hmm. and i finished my bachelor's i got uh, lucky enough to get a scholarship to go to b school in london so i went to westminster business school and um, that's when i pursued uh, a program in international business and management and the reason for doing something more generalist was because in the long run which was at that point in time maybe a 15 20 plus year view i always knew i wanted to build something of my own because uh end of the day you know that is when you create true wealth so i had no idea what i would build how i would do it but uh, at least there was an early thought process ke you know khud ka kuch karna hai so that's where this began uh incidentally i finished my degree in 2006 came back immediately and uh, my first job was actually as a quantitative debt analyst uh, for bank of america's offshore operation which was just starting in india at that point in time this was way back in 2006 so while i am like a sales marketing guy by dna i started in a very hard quant finance job and uh, to be honest the first few months were very difficult uh, but then i slowly got to love it uh, pre 2008 
uh, before Lehman Brothers happened, I almost moved on shore to Charlotte, North Carolina. So I came, I met the folks, everything was hunky-dory. And they're like, okay, you know, why don't you move here? So I said, okay, fine. Uh, then Lehman Brothers happened, you know, the kind of floor fell through. Uh, a lot of the people who were supporting my shift there in the U.S. actually got laid off in that wave. So I was finally like, okay, if, you know, I can't move to front office now one and a half years later, then it's time I do something else. So at that very challenging period, I managed to somehow get into PricewaterhouseCoopers. And uh, so 2008, and, uh, you know, I did something of everything. So I was hired as a business development person. Uh, by the now chairman of PwC India, Mr. Sanjeev Krishan. So, uh, you know, we go back a very, very long way. And I used to do PD for the various teams. So corporate finance, valuations, try and get new business. Uh, I never met clients before. So that was a steep learning. But I figured I enjoyed it as I started to meet more and more people. So then uh, over my two, two and a half years with PwC, I did automotive MA. I worked with three partners. Uh, all of them had different uh, idiosyncrasies. So there was a lot of learning working with the senior brass of the company. And uh, then in 2011, I finally figured that, okay, you know, I kind of want a little more uh, freedom in what I do. So I joined this Indian investment bank called Centrum Capital, listed on the stock exchange here as well. So I joined the corporate finance team there and the approach there was very simple. So my boss back then told me, okay, you know, I've given you infrastructure, I've given you the brand, now you go out, meet clients, get your business executed, close deals and try and make some money for yourself and for the firm. So uh, I spent about five years there and Centrum, you know, was a very, very interesting journey because I was given a lot of freedom to do different things and I helped clients raise money, uh, saw how their businesses grew and by the time I left, I finished as the head of the corporate finance desk there. So this was uh, 2015, so about 10 years in the hardcore investment banking industry, I finally decided that, okay, you know, I've, I've done things for other people, for clients. Now, maybe it's time I kind of start to do something for myself. So my first semi-entrepreneurial stint, so as to call it, uh, was with a young healthcare services platform called the Heal Institute, uh, which was actually seed funded by Mr. Par Jindal, who's Sajjan Jindal's son. He has a very keen interest in sport. So this brand actually ran a chain of high-end sports science and physio centers across Bombay at that point in time. So we used to manage Abhishek Bachchan's uh, Kabaddi team, Jaipur Pink Panthers. We used to manage teams in the ISL, the soccer league. We managed a lot of the recovery zones at the marathons at that point in time. So uh, it was founded by a technocrat, uh, Shamal Vallabhji. So I joined as CEO of the company and I used to look after commercial ops. So, you know, opening of branches, managing operations, cash flows, raising money. Uh, so it was a very interesting journey. It was my first experimentation with healthcare and fitness. And then eventually I founded uh, a sports nutrition brand called Exofit as well, which I'll tell you about. But uh, we did that for about two years. And then, uh, you know, Shamal, the technocrat founder, decided he wanted to do something else. And at that point in time, we sold a controlling stake in the company to Centrum's PE fund, which still is the majority owner now. And uh, 2017 is when I actually co-founded an NBFC, a non-banking finance company, a lending institution, with uh, the Wilson Pens and Stationery family of Bombay. So they've uh, they've been a pioneer in the stationery business. They sit on the board of a lot of education institutions. And uh, the main family member at that point in time, I'd done some work with him back in PwC. So we had a conversation and he said, okay, let's set up a business to lend to small businesses. And that's how Dhanvarsha was born. Uh, so we took over a listed company called Dhanvarsha Finvest, which has now been renamed to TrueCap Finance Limited. And the objective of that was to lend to small MSME, micro, small and medium enterprises in India. So your typical mom and pop stores, kiranas, grocers, uh, plumbers, shoe retailers, so on and so forth. And today it's almost... Uh, 550 yard crores of uh, assets under management, 70 plus branches. Um, I ran that for about uh, just over five years. Uh, about two and a half years ago, we onboarded another partner, uh, Rohan Juneja, who's now the MD CEO. So in June of last year, 2022, and there was a lead up of about nine months before that, I finally decided that uh, I wanted to relinquish full-time executive office in the company. For the simple reason that I wanted to set up a platform of my own where I could do a lot more things. So 
uh being the cxo of a listed company is great but it's fairly restrictive as well where you know you have a lot of board compliances conflicts of interest if you do anything else so i finally had a conversation with the family and then with my partner one i after handing over charge i'm still a decent shareholder of the company i moved out of uh, exec office in june of last year so that's how interface uh, ventures was born and uh, interface ventures has two very clear objectives uh, one is to uh, invest in and incubate uh, new businesses largely in fintech financial services uh, the simple reason being that that's a sector where i have spent over one and a half decades of my professional and entrepreneurial career already uh, so the connections and the network there is fairly good and uh, <clears throat> looking at what's happened after demon after covid uh, the increasing thrust of the government to kind of digitize this more make it more structured the increasing offtake of credit i just thought it's a good space to be in so one arm of interface ventures is incubating new businesses in technology in financial services so i have a tech partner for that it's a company based out of noida called novostack so we own three assets in a jv today two of which we are incubating from scratch one of which we have acquired so i'll tell you a little bit about the three platforms first uh so the first stack that will launch in march uh, later this month is a, a b2b2c or a partner driven loan origination engine uh, for the retail space so basically you know what uh, a large format like a paisa bazaar does directly b2c we are trying to do through partners uh, simple objective being that you know uh, over the course of my lending stint as well uh, we came across a number of platforms that have good access to merchants and you know they may want to kind of uh, make available credit to their customers as a means of earning additional revenue so i have built a stack for them with my partner and the offtake of these loans will be through a companies whose board i sit on so i sit on the board of india's second largest corporate what we call dsa direct sales agent uh, it's a platform called ru loans or loans so this year financial year closing 23 march we will do about 25000 crores plus of retail loans distribution pan india so it's a very large platform to facilitate loans for lenders so on one side i source through my stack i curate the cases and then through my partner i place them so that's the first platform uh the second uh, which we have acquired uh, in a cash and stock deal is a is a khata stack uh, or rather a small bookkeeping digital platform which allows your storekeepers to be able to maintain their accounts digitally set reminders to their customers for payment recover their credit on time uh, record payments to the vendors so you already have two very large players in this field in india who are very well funded so i have acquired one of the smaller ones and uh, the idea here being that after it is rebranded and relaunched in april we will integrate a loan origination engine into it as well because these are customers who need credit all the time so rather than becoming a push product it becomes a pull product so that's on the msme side and the third stack uh, you know incidentally i started working on this first but it will launch last um, is a retail investment platform uh, where what we are doing is we are trying to make the humble mutual fund sip product cool for people so you know kind of uh, people who are starting their first jobs people not in financial services want to save some money don't know where to start so we are building something for them which is more engaging simple and a lot of visual content so that's what uh, we are doing on the incubation side uh when i invest in other opportunities so uh, as a minority investor where i don't really kind of operationally see what's happening is in the business of partners or people i do business with so uh, for example my tech partner overstack uh, i bought 5% of that business uh some of the banks that i do business with the smaller younger ones uh, i am actually working with them to see how i can acquire a stake in their business because uh my principle is very simple either i have operational control of the business so i can build it my way or the second is uh, i put money in the business of partners who i do business with so at least i know what's happening rather than you know i don't follow the typical uh, seed investor vc format where you know someone comes to me or is introduced to me by someone and it's a great idea and you put some money in it and you see what happened 3 years later so that's not my typical format um i kind of like seeing what's happening in the business on an ongoing basis so that's that's the product or the investment arm of what i do the second which is very synergistic with this is my advisory business so what i essentially do here is i help 
lending institutions in particular, I do other deals as well, uh, raise structured credit lines. So they could be co-lending lines from banks, business correspondence lines, term debt. Uh, there are two reasons for this. One, it's great cash flow uh, because it keeps the fires burning. Second, because my stacks are in fintech, this network constantly helps me on the distribution side of these platforms. So if I'm working with multiple banks tomorrow, if I want to distribute my Khata stack, for example, so I have access to these banks at uh, decently mid to senior levels to be able to have a conversation with them and see, hey, how can we do something together here? If I want to distribute their fixed deposit, you know, I can probably get a better uh, a commercial arrangement out of them because of the relationship on the advisory side. So it's great cash flow and it gives me visibility for my fintech. So in that sense, uh, Interface Ventures is now an integrated investment and advisory platform. 70% of what I do is in financial services. 30% uh, could be anything else. For example, I'm helping on the large uh, uh, industrialist friend of mine sell a prime piece of land in uh, Bombay, for example. So that's opportunistic. I use my network amongst friends who are working in real estate, see if there's an interest, try and close this quick, and there is an arbitrage in the middle. So that's essentially what I do, Akash. Uh, happy to answer any questions. No, this has been a fascinating journey and you've obviously had exposure to a lot of different aspects of, um, you know, within your professional career. And I think it makes for a really interesting journey that's kind of played out. And I want to kind of dive a little bit more deeper into some of your operating journey, because I think that will be um, something I think a lot of our listeners can take a lot of insight away from. So maybe we can start with that. I know it's been a very interesting sort of um, a field to pick to be your first business and uh, getting into everything that has to do on rehabilitation and health and wellness is um, obviously in some way foreign to India. Not a lot of people actually look into um, you know that aspect and that side of the business unless you're on the athlete side and you're on the higher affluence side, especially from a consumer standpoint of view. So talk us through that early days of what it meant to start that business and then try and go after a market which perhaps was not ready in some cases to uh, take on and you know start incorporating this into their daily lives and how did you think about those early days and what was that aha moment that kind of like led you to believe that you know there's something bigger here that can be built uh, built on top of right so uh, my my romance with healthcare kind of started with the heel journey and uh, at that point in time, I'd actually pitched for a sponsorship to this fairly old and large pharma family based in Bombay, the Copran group, uh, the Somani family are the promoters of that group. So uh, they actually had a nutrition brand called Big Flex at that point in time, which they still own. And uh, we decided to distribute that through our uh, chain of uh, physio and sports science centers. So we did that. And, you know, that's when I started <clears throat> getting interested in the product side of healthcare because Heal essentially was a services business. So after we finished off with uh, Heal and, you know, after I just started the NBFC, I thought that, okay, you know, this space could get really interesting. Like you said, it was uh, fairly immature at that point in time. Um, so I thought, you know, okay, maybe this is something that we can ride over the next five years as Indians become more conscious of, you know, uh, protein, nutrition, living better, fitter, healthier, so on and so forth. So uh, I actually started this brand called Exerfit, which is essentially a combination of exercise and fitness, um, which is a nutraceutical brand. So it has a performance range which includes your whey protein, BCAA, blah, blah, blah. And then your multivitamins, calcium D3 on the core uh, wellness side. So this was started as a joint venture with the Copran family, incidentally, because their brand was very performance oriented, uh, trained towards gyms, trainers, and I wanted to do something more FMCG-ish. So we started that in 2018 and uh, even today, while we are a very small brand uh, in the larger ecosystem, uh, people still know us for the kind of branding we've created, the quality of the products, the kind of glamour we've gotten associated with the brand. Uh, it was during COVID, the first wave that uh, the co-brand shareholding was actually transferred to uh, my partners in the NBFC, the Wilson family. So I am now, I'm today, uh, about four, five years later, I'm a minority shareholder in that business because operational control is now with the Wilson family, given my commitments on the financial services side as well. And the journey was great. You know, there are learnings in everything. So when COVID hit, all of us got really excited thinking that, oh, this is going to be like a massive opportunity, right? 
what we didn't realize at that point in time was considering that all of us largely owned our brands and the manufacturing was always done by a third party. So, you know, bigger brands who already had large distribution platforms, so these could be online chains, online pharmacies, whatever, they all had the same idea and they started entering this segment. So they had a huge advantage because they already had the distribution and brand recall, maybe not in this segment, but overall at a, at a fitness, healthcare and wellness level. So they all entered the space and prices started to drop. The Amazon's algorithm got smarter and the bid rates increased. So it became extremely price competitive. So uh, my learning with a product branded business was that, you know, uh, you need to have really deep pockets to fight this battle. Because, you know, if you can't afford to spend money behind your brand, it would be difficult. So today we are a small niche, uh, organically built brand in the space which uh, within which we operate. Uh, but, you know, now obviously post-COVID, the dust has settled down, the offtake of these products has stabilized again. But it was like with surgical masters after COVID, right? There was this huge spike and then kind of things stabilized or kind of started falling again. So uh, the healthcare business in particular gave me a lot of operational learning in terms of daily cash flow management. You know, how do you make sure that you are kind of keeping your fires burning? So uh, this is great experience that actually now helps me in the businesses I'm building because I don't build businesses for valuation. I build them to make cash profit out of them. So same as with tech. So, you know, uh, people say a lot of things about technology and, you know, how expensive it is to acquire consumers, which is true. So the first thing that is most important when you start any business, and this is my learning, you have to know how to distribute the product. So if you don't have a distribution strategy, it's not like, you know, uh, if you take an offline analogy, I wouldn't open a shop somewhere where I had no clue where the customers would come from. And, you know, I'd need someone to come put money in my business to acquire those customers because then that business eventually is doomed to fail. So for me, even with the fintech stacks I'm doing, most of them are partner driven. Uh, I kind of know which battles I have to fight. Time will tell, you know, how successful we are. But at least I have a clear thought process on what I want to build how I want to distribute it, how I will acquire the customers. And then it's a question of constantly iterating to make it more efficient. So, you know, my learning has been focused on the operational detail of your business. And if you work hard enough, eventually you will find success at some point in time. So, and plus these are all bootstrapped by me. Uh, all the money that is going into my businesses right now is mine alone. I have no external investors. So yeah. it forces discipline on you. That's a very interesting point that you bring up because that's one of the things that, you know, we've criticized the Indian startup ecosystem for the last uh, year or year and a half, or even historically speaking, some of the companies have been burning through money, right? And it's, uh, you know, there's this very interesting quote that always comes about when we talk about the amount of capital that's been raised. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest criticisms is the fact that today startups are measured by how much money that they've raised. But it's uh, more important to ask how efficiently are those companies using that capital? And uh, efficiency doesn't really mean penny pinching, but instead finding the right entrepreneurs who orient their business models around technology um, or having the right business model that can intrinsically and effectively multiply capital. And there's no better founder, I think, who can answer this question than somebody who has bootstrapped his or her business and has had that discipline in terms of building things structurally. So from that point of view, let me pose this question to you. What have you learned? in terms of building a bootstrapped company and what are the obvious challenges and opportunities that come with it? Because I want a lot of our listeners to actually take away the insights in building something that is from the ground up without taking somebody else's money. Because today, most founders believe that first thing that they need to do is, you know, have a pitch deck in place and start reaching out to VCs as opposed to thinking about how do I make this business something that's a little bit more um, you know, robust? How do I make sure that the business model is robust? Can I speak to my customers and spend more time there as opposed to spending time with VCs and trying to raise capital? So having said that as a context, talk us through some of the insights that you have had, some of the challenges that you have faced, and more importantly, perhaps even the dilemma within yourself to say, do I continue to build this, keeping, bo keeping it bootstrapped and making sure I have efficient um, business plans and uh, uh, revenue models in place? Or do I just go down the VC route and raise capital to to, to scale my company? So uh, first thing, I don't have a pitch deck. Uh, I haven't yeah. made one. <laughs> I don't intend to make one right now. Uh, idea is very simple. So 
when you put your own money and my advice to everyone who's thinking of doing something is start your business when you know that you have enough runway to be able to create something that at least can stand on its own feet right so even if you take six more months or 12 more months to raise the money that you want to raise um you know you can still survive you can still grow your business you don't have to do what you hear a lot of people doing today is laying off you know like these hundreds of employees and suddenly people are talking about operational efficiencies you don't build operational efficiencies by firing people you build operational efficiencies by building a better business right so uh when you are bootstrapped you can't afford to do this because anyway you know i won't hire 20 people i will push my four people to do the work of 15 people so because you know i know there is no other way i have salaries to pay at the end of the month i have my rents to pay i have to put the money in the bank account and the business reaches a level where it can start servicing those expenses itself so your first race is always to get to a level where expenses uh, revenue equals expenses so that will only happen when it's your money it is human nature where okay you know I, if i know that there is a tap which you know can open and you know money comes in i will use it uh, i won't say imprudently i wouldn't want to say that but you become a little more relaxed when it's your money you know that there is nothing else right so it's like a it's like a bottle of water here. you know you see people they'll drink half the bottle they'll throw the balance half of it you go to sub-saharan africa they will probably you know drink water with an eyedropper because every drop of water is precious Matters. so that's what yeah. exactly so that's what a bootstrap uh, founder like me does right you I, I don't uh, scrounge, so I will invest in PR, I will invest in building my brand, I will invest in giving a good quality of life to the people who work with me, but I am extremely careful about how to measure productivity, the kind of people I onboard, and the fact that revenue generation is the top priority while keeping expenses flat. Expenses can't grow faster than revenue once the business reaches a certain scale. Because if you run that model, eventually you're going to run out of money. It's a matter of time. And if you're building a business which is constantly dependent on somebody else to keep bailing you out, then that business is not sustainable. So, you know, uh, you can say a lot of things, uh, but my personal belief is you raise capital at that time when you actually need it to grow make your business stronger, not to fund this endless burn because, you know, people have set up businesses when they never run a business in their life. They never manage cash flow in their life. So I have literally uh, run early stage businesses where you didn't know how you would pay salaries tomorrow. So those are learnings which you'll only get when you do the hard yards in the field. If you don't do that, that value for somebody else's capital is scarce and, you know, you hear some of the sad stories that we're hearing these days. So so those are some interesting lessons, especially in terms of uh, building companies from the ground up with uh, a lot of discipline, understanding cash flows, understanding how to build efficient business models more than anything else. And that's something that I think most founders from day one need to be thinking about. And while today you're on the other side of the table, I think it's a makes for a good transition to ask you this question. How are you bringing a lot of your insights from your operating days? And today when you meet founders, and seeing how businesses are being built, does that at some point fundamentally conflict against your own principles in understanding how other people are just looking at capital to be the moat, in which case it's very difficult to business to build a business model where capital is the moat? Or more importantly, are you attracted to more founders today who are a little bit more, in your case, disciplined, very aligned with you know the principles that you believed in in terms of how to build companies from the ground up? So... How do you differentiate between the entrepreneur that is within versus the entrepreneurs that you get to meet every day today as a VC? So it's interesting. Um, you Probably out of 10 people that you meet, uh, eight or nine will be in the bucket where everything is about raising money, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and raising money without diluting too much, uh, not talking about the business that lies underneath. And it's all about the opportunity, right? So uh, in an Indian context, there's opportunity in everything uh, because it's 130 crore people, right? So if you do something right, uh, there is an opportunity for it. So, you know, there are numerous examples of this. So Cred did uh, something interesting. They made credit card payments. I mean, who would have ever thought that uh, paying your credit card bill would become an interesting experience? 
and yeah. now they are kind of going value added products on top of it so you know uh, there are niches and everything but i think what is most important is do you understand how to acquire your customer so there's this uh, thing this jargon that goes on cac cost of customer acquisition so you know when i meet people what i like seeing in a business essentially is have you thought about your cac like how are you going to acquire this customer at what cost is this customer getting acquired uh, are you raising money only to spend it on you know google ads and social media and all of that where calculating your roi is difficult if not impossible it's a very very gray subject so if that is the thought process where you're raising money to acquire customers then for me that is a non starter to begin with for a simple reason that there is no end to that and now in the last uh, decade there are enough and more examples of people where even after 10 years of raising money you know at multiple billion dollar round valuations they're still losing money at every customer acquisition level so even at that scale if you can't make money the question is when will you if ever right uh, so i'd rather look at smaller platforms where there is clarity of thought that okay this is what i am doing uh, i know how to do this this is where my customers will come from and say after 6 months 12 months at this level of revenue i will start covering costs post which i start making money then the question is okay you know if i want to take that growth to 5x 10x you know do i need to raise money then there is there is a conversation to be had and there are you know great examples look at zeroda look at uh, zoho uh, they are technology businesses and they make an insane amount of cash um so you know it's not like this cannot be done because they built a digital businesses with the thought process of a very traditional businessman so you know uh just because it's digital doesn't mean it has to burn money i think that's the first thing people have to understand because you know 30 40 years ago when their parents or you know their relatives might have set up some traditional business all of them started with their own money or friends and family they couldn't afford to not make the business work because you know end of the day they would burn their life savings they would burn the money of people close to them so that discipline was ingrained because you didn't have a choice today because you know you have uh, fundraising platforms available all the way from crowdfunding to pre-seed a to hni seed a vc pe there is money available everywhere it's not easy to get that money so i have a lot of respect for people who pitch and actually get funded but if you start here and you want to get to you know the big pe round 5 10 years later it makes sense to do it when you build a business that can actually absorb that capital and give even better return than what you're giving today if it is to just cover your burn then you know it's better to go back to the drawing board and think what you need to do to actually stop burning money and give shareholders return because ultimately you know people have seen now that p to p secondary music will stop somewhere you will have to list the company and if you list a company which isn't making money the indian retail investor doesn't understand that story and the price comes crashing down so hmm. you know from that perspective it's better to focus on the fundamentals first chase growth later this is my view at least i think that's a very interesting take in terms of how you are aligning your own fundamental values against you know what founders today are actually building and how they're building and you're absolutely right there is a different approach to to building companies in from a point of view where you feel everything needs to be efficient including processes governance business models i think it's a very difficult ment- mindset to actually come about and if you do think from day one that capital is going to be a moat for you i don't think most businesses can be built in a way that you want it to be built traditionally speaking from a point of view of gaining profits at the end of the day yes there are certain business models that do require you know capital and that happens only at growth stages where you know it starts right. to become an add more um you know more more value uh, as opposed to in the early days because i unless if it is you know drug discovery or um you know anything that's got to do with um you know space tech or any of the moonshot projects i don't think capital is something that you know people need to be thinking about from day one and too many founders today orient their businesses around venture capital and uh, they need to figure out a lot of other things rather than just ask for money today they ask for money and then figure things out and uh, you, in so fact you can't build a business to raise money you build yeah. a business that attracts money yeah 
I think that's a very interesting point because in fact, if you make progress without resources and without capital and you're able to get ahead, you'll automatically generate a lot of VC interest. And that I think is one of the better ways to go about it. So again, coming back to the other side, right, where you're sitting today at a vantage point where you get to meet with early stage founders, um, you know, look at some very interesting companies that are being built out. What kind of eventually led you down this path to say, today I want to support more founders and, uh, you know, how is that journey playing out for you? What have you learned more about yourself? Because this is a time that you spend being a founder and they say, once you're a founder, you're always a founder. That 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 innate ability and, and uh, you know, instincts as a founder never go away. It doesn't matter if you end up becoming a venture capitalist or you even head into uh, an advisory role in some cases. So what aspects about your operating life have, you know, been translated to your uh, VC life and what's kind of like taken over in terms of the personalities that you find a lot of similarities from what you were doing as an operator? Right. So I'll give you an example of the, the fintech asset that we've taken over and are reprinting now. So uh, one point I didn't address earlier was that, you know, apart from knowing what your strengths are, it's very important to be very clear about what your weaknesses are. So if I want to run a fintech business, I'm a finance guy, I'm a network guy, I'm not a technologist. So the first thing I did is when I formed the fintech company, I got a JV partner who actually runs his own technology business. So we own it 50-50. So in the fintech, I'm essentially the fin, he's the tech. Because I know that if I sit to build a company where I hire technologists, I don't know how to manage them. I don't know how to retain them. I have no clue when they give me a timeline. Is it the right timeline? Is it the right cost? So you need to partner with someone who understands that. So I did that at day zero of setting the company up because I knew that is where I can either succeed or I can fail. Mm -hmm. So I took care of that part first. A lot of people start raising very early money to start building a tech team, which they have no clue how to manage because you know, people who are core business people find it very difficult to manage tech talent because it's different, right? They they start work at one in the afternoon, they work till three in the morning. I start my day by 9.30. I want to finish off by 7, 7.30. So it's a very different mindset. So that's something which is very important. Secondly, in terms of uh, how I look at opportunities, so the company which we took over or the platform which we've acquired, the Khata Stack, uh, I know these guys for a while now. So very simple, uh, down-to-earth guys who set up a platform called Mera Cashier, uh, which was based in North India, to cater to these very, very small Kirana stores, etc. And they actually started this much before this whole Khata thing became a craze. And uh, they put in a very decent amount of their own life savings, three founders. Uh, they got some uh, decently high-profile people, uh, including people from the finance industry, uh, celebrity singer as well, to angel fund it with them. So they ran it for about two years and then unfortunately they they kind of uh, ran out of capital to scale the business further but uh, you know that was a platform i believed in uh, and i knew that you know the people who are associated with it are people who gave it everything from their side and for whatsoever reason it didn't turn out the way they wanted but there was merit in the team and the platform so if combining it with now uh, the tech capabilities that we have in-house through my partner, the network that I have in financial services, uh, the PR machinery that now uh, I'm using. If we combine all of that with a limited amount of capital input into the business, we can actually turn this around very quickly. So I am always looking for uh, interesting people to partner with, uh, which are synergistic to my business, which can actually grow very quickly through my network and uh, where you know the people who are associated with it have a view okay okay you know the platform first growth and value in that first are personal interest secondary if you have that thought process then the chances of failing are extremely limited because everyone pushes in the same direction if i meet a founder who talks about thank you very much conversation over because you're only thinking about yourself first not about the business not about the platform and you know your the the company's interest will always be secondary to your own so i avoid those conversations whether it's a burning business or it's a very good business because if you can't sit at the table and have a very honest conversation with the guy okay this is what we need to do about the business so either i convince you or you convince me and we move forward where it's all about valuation and you know i will do this i won't do that you know uh if the business is burning cash i'm still flying business class it doesn't work out yeah yeah, I think there's some really interesting insights as well. And uh, one thing that really stood out to me there was how you've 
being able to communicate a lot of your learnings back to your founders and doesn't really matter if it's like founders that you've invested in or founders that you eventually end up having a conversation with, right? Because I think this is something that is universal. And I think most early stage founders typically need to, or early stage and first time founders need to hear this more often than not. And um, what have you learned from some of your best performing portfolio companies? I know you've only recently started investing and perhaps you've you know not had that full cycle to see what some of your uh, portfolio companies have been able to do. But with the little interactions that you've seen, not just from the ones that you've invested in, but you know founders that you've worked with and uh, founders that you perhaps you know been inspired by and have had a chance to learn from what are some of those key traits that eventually stand out to you even today i think the three points that uh, i someone should keep in mind when they're planning to either start their own business or raise capital so first is whatever you're planning to do uh, keep it extremely focused and narrow so you know you know this is what i need to execute this is the use case that i'm solving and the first port of call should be within six months or 12 months to actually get to a very, very solid POC proof of concept case where, you know, what you set out to do with your own limited capital or you, friends, family, whatever, you actually prove it to yourself and to whoever you showcase this to, yeah, that this works. It organically generates revenue. It organically covers its cost. And, you know, I am now slowly scaling it up. What I need the money for is to actually increase the pace of this scale up. So those are the first two parts. The third most important, which is the most underestimated and which I personally am very proud to say is a strength for me is collaboration. Uh, you have to start thinking about your weak areas where you need help and then start identifying people from your ecosystem who could help fill those gaps. Uh, you should not be scared to share whether it is margin or equity or whatever it is to make sure that those weak areas suddenly become either opportunities or strengths. Because, you know, uh, I'd rather own 25% um, of a, of a profit-making large company than 100% of a cash-burning small business or a business that has paper value. Because, you know, when you introspect end of the day, you know that unit economics are still not making sense. If, you know, pressure comes on the equity infusion front, you will have to lay people off. And, you know, these are people who join these large brands with these dreams of, you know, working for these platforms. And uh, it's just sad, you know, like thousands of people being cut loose for no fault of theirs. Yeah. So you have to be very clear. There's a human aspect to starting a business as well, because if you are expecting to attract decent talent, Right. So decent talent means they work with better platforms earlier. And now if they are joining you, it's because of obviously a dream that, you know, you will create some disproportionate wealth for them. That's why they join a startup. Now, if you don't and businesses fail, right? So it's not like businesses don't fail, even if you do everything right, that happens too. But at least the intent has to be right. The push has to be in the right direction where everyone who's part of the journey knows you gave it everything. It's not just an enrichment at a top level where, you know, it's it's about your stock, your options, you know, the capital you've raised. And then, you know, when the sun, sun shop's shining, it's the guys right down the value chain who suddenly start to, you know, become easy fodder. So my only suggestion, advice, and these are my learnings, uh, are uh, be very clear what you're chasing, get to proof of concept of sustainability, and find your weaknesses and find partners to collaborate to fill those. Don't be afraid afraid of sharing because as you share, the pie becomes bigger. Again, uh, I love that. I love that um, piece of advice from you. I think many founders, again today, right, need to hear you know advice like this. And I say that simply because just this past week, I was able to sit down with founders, um, two sets of founders building from India, who were taking a very different approach to building their companies from day one. And the first question that came out of one of the founder's mouth was, uh, how much do you think we should raise? This is the idea. And I said, the real question that should be coming from, from your side is, how do we build this company? Who are the right kind of people that we should be bringing on to build the product that we're thinking about? Um, what is more important for you to understand at this point is what are the markets? What's your customers? Have you spoken to more customers? Have you spoken to your ICPs? Have you defined your ICPs? Like those need to be keeping you up at night as opposed to just saying, how much money should I raise? And I think you've given some really interesting pieces of advice here today 
and uh, you know towards the end of the conversation i typically ask a lot of my uh, guests to just self uh, reflect on their journey and uh, pieces of advice that they probably give themselves if they were going out and building something for the first time today so i'm going to pose a very similar question to you as well like if you were sure. starting out at, again current today in your career for the first time what have you learned about everything that you've been exposed to and if you were to tell yourself a younger self to brace himself for the journey that you've had what would those one or two points be that uh, perhaps would make the journey a little bit more fun and and perhaps you'll brace yourself for you know everything that you've been hit with over the course of your career uh so if i had to start again you know honestly uh, everyone's journey is unique and uh, every journey is actually what we take out of it which is what i tell people when i'm trying to convince them to join me in my businesses as well mm-hmm. uh, there is no uh, there is no good way or right way of doing something so you can be a very small like i tell people that you can be employing number 436 in a very large ecosystem and you know great brand but you are a nobody or you can be an absolute star in a small platform because you took ownership and you built disproportionate value for the institution and for yourself so those are choices you make uh, reflecting back on my journey honestly i wouldn't do anything different because even my bad choices or my i would say bad experiences but uh, below expectation experiences taught me a lot of stuff in fact uh the tougher experiences when like i mentioned to you sometime earlier there were days then i didn't know how we would pay salaries the next day uh in a couple of uh, businesses that i was associated with uh you know they taught me more than my easy days for sure and even my easy days i always did more i chased more things to do because i knew i wanted to stuff all of this learning in a short span of time so that when i decide to do something for myself at least i have the most available experience you know yeah. um at my fingertips uh even today you know that two things about being a founder and entrepreneur one uh it's very lonely uh so which is why collaborating is very important because you get different perspectives from different people and they kind of help reorient your mind about what you need to do uh so if you constantly keep getting greedy and think you'll keep everything you just get lonelier and lonelier so what is very important is you kind of work with like minded people they don't need to be partners in your business but at least you collaborate in areas where you are weak to kind of make sure that someone has your back yeah that's very important because otherwise it's a very lonely road especially on the tough days second uh my biggest takeaway over this time is that uh, you have to be open to accepting your mistakes because if you are not open to accepting your mistakes the chances of failure increase exponentially don't live mm. in denial you know go back to the drawing board try and do something different accept that okay maybe this didn't work out and pull the plug early don't carry something forward endlessly just because your ego doesn't permit you to say no or you just you know you kind of believe in a utopic land which doesn't exist mm-hmm. so if you know this is not going to work you know put your hand up and say okay let's stop this let's restart let's do something new and kind of try and cover those losses in the times to come so for me you know journey has been great i'm very excited about uh, the next 5 to 10 years in india i think it's a great story yeah. and if you build a right business uh, with the right focus you know with the efficient capital structuring you know there's a lot of value to be created i'd rather have 100000 profitable customers than 10 million customers that are burning me at a unit level every day i think that's a great insight and i do agree with you i think um, you know burnout is so real like founder burnout is extremely real and it's also a very lonely journey as you mentioned there and you don't have the feedback cycles that you perhaps want coming from your customers and more importantly you need to have that support system around you and or in some cases perhaps your team is in conflict and perhaps your team has um or the expansion has failed perhaps you are going through layoffs or cutbacks and everything kind of like makes the journey of a founder extremely difficult from a point of view of making sense in the early days and you're constantly questioning yourself and having the right set of people around you who've kind of been through that journey themselves is very important and surrounding yourself with the right set of people can act or the wrong set of people can actually make or break a journey i think that's Absolutely. great feedback and uh, they often say this right you're only as smart as the people around you and yeah, you more often you're the not, smartest guy in the room you you hired wrong, wrong or you know you've just not done something right with your people 
Yeah, you're definitely in the wrong room. And uh, there's this beautiful uh, blog. I don't know if you've ever read it, but then I just want to put it out there. It's called, um, um, the, 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 the blog is called Give Away Your Legos, written by First On Capital. And what I really enjoyed about this is the transition that most founders also go through when they start to grow quickly. And they really need to also understand what it means to become comfortable in their own skin and understanding and embracing their insecurities. I think the point is connected to the fact that you, where you mentioned that you need to be very honest with yourself as a founder. You need to be truthful. You need to understand. And more importantly, also just figure out that you have limitations to your own um, capabilities and uh, abilities. And the emotions you feel when you eventually bring new people into the door who are perhaps more capable than you, uh, can some sometimes make it, you know, very insecure for founders. And there's a lot of natural anxiety that kicks in um, where you don't want to give away a lot of the things that you had done in the early days. And there's, you're hanging on to this stuff. And I think that's a great comparison between when you start building your initial Lego um, and you built one tower of, you know, maybe the house that you're building and then somebody else is coming to help you out. You're, it's, it's, it's your innate instinct to go and you know, micromanage people, look at whether it's being done the right Correct. way or not. And, um, you know, more than anything else, building at scale, you are giving away a responsibility. You're giving away a part of that Lego tower that you started building. And the only way to move on and continue to scale and big build, big, build bigger and greater things is to give away that responsibility to somebody else and trust that they're going to come through on their end. And a lot of that really comes down to embracing the uncertainties in the early days. And if you're able to do that, you're able to like obviously build a very successful company. So I think um, you kind of like nail that advice on the head. And uh, I've really enjoyed speaking to you over the course of the last hour or so. I've really learned a lot yeah, about yeah, your experience. Um, really enjoyed uh, getting to know your stint as a founder. And of course, on the other side, sitting at the table where you're today, advising a lot of companies and investing in them. I'm extremely sure a couple of years down the line when we talk again and you know we sit down and explore some of the investments that you've made and some of the founders and the learnings that you've had, we'll uncover a great dearth of information about how they've gone about uh, building their companies more efficiently given that they've had this piece of advice from you and they're being exposed to you on a day-to-day -day basis. So I'm really excited to sit down with you again and uncover some of these learnings a year from now or so. Fantastic. Uh, look forward to it, Akash. And that, everybody, is the end of this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. This was a great learning from an operator who is turned investor, who was able to reflect back on his own journey, look at some of the challenges that he had stumbled upon, and some of the things that he got right that kind of helped him along the way as a founder. And today, he's leveraging a lot of that experience to help his portfolio companies succeed. It's really important sometimes to have that operational experience as a founder because it gives you a lot more to like fall back upon when things go really hard for your founders. And that is something that Karan is able to do. And he was able to like reflect back on a couple of examples as to how precisely he's doing it. Thank you so much, Karan, again, for being on the podcast. And I'm really looking forward to bringing you back at some point in the future and talking a little bit more about all the learnings that you've had over the course of your investing journey. Well, if you're like me and you enjoyed this episode and all the other ones that we brought you so far, please go ahead and rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. It really helps others discover the show, but most importantly, keeps you updated about all of our future episode releases. Well, we've got another great guest lined up for you on the other side. So please make sure you tune back in again next week to see who we have here on the show. Until then, stay safe, everybody, and continue to keep hustling.